Thanks for that song, Adrian. That was it's fantastic. We need to be reminded who we are. Hey, I'm reading from 1 Timothy uh, 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Thanks, Greg. Good morning. So how many of you men out there are here and your wives are up at retreat? Look at that. Good job, man. Good for you. That's awesome. Well... I, th- I don't think it's overstating it to say there is a leadership crisis in our world these days. A friend and I were chatting and we were saying, it just seems like leaders are getting worse and worse. And is that the truth or is it just that the media now lets us see every detail of a leader's life so they can't get away with anything? And we kind of decided it's some of both, right? Um, with midterm elections coming up and all that's going on in the world with different kinds of leaders, country leaders, etc., leaders in our country and leaders in businesses, etc., it makes us think about leadership. What characteristics should a leader have? What's important to look for in a leader? The right platform, knowledge, experience. They need to be a good speaker so they can motivate people, get them together. Is moral integrity important or not? And these are all good questions we have to wrestle with as we wrestle with leadership out in the world because we know leadership's important. But the church, too, has struggled with what to look for in leaders. Different churches, as we know, if you've been around the block much, if you've been to many churches, uh, churches have many, many different kinds of leadership structures and different names for leaders. There's priests, there's deacons as a governing board, there's elders, pastors. Many churches in the evangelical world are run by senior pastors who have the authority. Vicars, bishops, a pope, cardinals, etc. There's, there's a lot of structures. There's churches that are congregationalists where the congregation vote, they're they have the authority in the church. But we are studying the book of 1 Timothy, and as we go through this book and we're considering what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church, we want to wrestle with what does it mean to have gospel-centered leadership. Leadership that is truly focusing on the gospel, it's centered on the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose again and lives in power and authority 
He is Lord. And if that's true, then what should we look for in leaders in the church? Do we want a CEO type that can kind of run the business of the church? A good administrator, perhaps? Somebody who's a visionary who can lead us into the future? Someone who's a great teacher? Somebody who is a great motivator? Etc. Those are, you know, those are all good qualities, but as we'll see today, those things I just mentioned, none of them are the things that Paul focuses on in our passage today. As he talks about what it means to have gospel centered leadership. So pray with me and we'll look at this together. Lord, thank you that you have a plan, that you want to run the church. Help us, Lord, to be a church here at Cole and your church across the world where you are, your leadership is enhanced, you are set free, you truly are Lord of the church. Guide us as we look at this passage. Lord, teach us what it means to be your people in a gospel-centered church under gospel-centered leadership. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing we need to, to kind of get straight before we start is Who should run the church? Whose job is it really to run the church in a practical way? Whose job is it? Again, there's lots of models out there, but our belief at Cole, from our understanding of the scripture, is that Jesus is to be head of the church. He is to lead. He is practically to be Lord of the church. Colossians 1 says that he is head of the church. He is He is the head. He's the ruler. He's the boss of the church. In Matthew 28, as Jesus is commissioning, the Great Commission, commissioning his disciples, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, go make disciples, etc. And at the end of that, he says, and I am with you. I am present to the very end of the age. So if he has all authority and he's present with us, with the church, then the most important thing is that we let him lead. (laughs) He's the one who should be the boss. Even though he's invisible, he is present. He is the Lord. So the question is, what kind of leadership will most free Jesus up to be the practical leader, the true leader of his church? Well, Paul explains that in our passage this morning as we look at this whole area of elders, of eldership. Uh, I want to give several qualifications, but first I want to kind of lay out the pattern that we see in the New Testament for this term, this position, this office of eldership. We see in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, everywhere that Paul went, he established elders. That was the leadership style, the leadership structure. Now, Paul, Timothy, Apollos, others were church planters. They were apostles. They would go around and they would establish a church, bring people to Christ. And then as the community began to form, began to develop, and they began to need some leadership, Paul would come back through and then he would look at the ones who were most mature and establish them as the elders. That's the pattern we see in the book of Acts and then throughout the New Testament. We see also that there's three terms that are used for these church leaders that he establishes. First is the term elder. 
An elder really speaks of the maturity of the person, speaks of their walk with God, that they've walked with God a long time. Are they older in years? Well, mostly, yeah, probably. But most important is that they are elders in terms of their maturity in their walk with God. They've walked with God for a long time. The second word that's used interchangeably with elder throughout the scriptures, and that's the one he uses in this particular passage, is the term overseer. Overseer describes the responsibility that these men have, these elders. And it's the responsibility to oversee the entire body, to take responsibility for what's going on in the entire local body and be concerned about the entire body. Then the third term that's used several times in the New Testament for these same men, elders, overseers, and shepherds. The word shepherd, we sometimes translate it pastor, but really the word shepherd is the word that's used. And it speaks to how these men are to lead. They're to lead in a caring, nurturing, deeply involved way, like a shepherd is intimately involved with the flock, caring and loving and feeding, nurturing the life of the flock. A little farther over in 1 Timothy, Paul refers to these same people as elders. Verse 17 of chapter 5, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And he goes on to give some more insight. We'll get to that in a few weeks of what he says there to elders. But he is addressing these men as the leaders. And here in our passage then, he gives qualifications for elders. What should we look for in men if they are going to be these leaders in the church? I want to highlight four qualities or characteristics, qualifications that we see um, in these elders. The first one is a willing heart. A willing heart. First verse of chapter 3 says this. It's a trustworthy statement. Paul says, this is important. Get this. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Here he says if a man aspires or desires to be an elder or to grow in el towards eldership, it's a beautiful work. The word there is beautiful. It's a good work. It's a beautiful work he desires to do. So one of the things we look for is a willing heart. Someone came up to me in between services and was saying, the way he thinks about this word aspire, which makes sense, is that all of us should aspire towards the maturity of an elder. We should desire to become men and women who exhibit the characteristics. We should aspire to that above all else. So we look for men when we're looking for elders is a desire, a willingness to take on the responsibility of eldership, not a oh yeah, I want power. It's not a position of power. That means they misunderstand it. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a bit. But rather a sense that, wow, I feel called to oversee this entire body, this entire fellowship of believers, this community. I, I have a desire to serve as a servant leader in this body and help the entire body grow and be what God wants it to be. So not everyone... Not everyone has that desire, so we look for that. Now, it doesn't mean that they feel confident or able to pull that off. See, eldering is a big job, and if you feel inadequate, 
that's not a disqualification at all. <laughs> in fact, it's a qualification we look for because we're all inadequate, right? So it's not that elders have it together or anything like that, but it's they have a desire to let God work through them to serve the entire body. So the first qualification we look for is a willing heart. Secondly, in this same verse, and it's wrapped up in the word overseer, is a concern for the entire body. A concern for the entire body. The word overseer means someone who watches over, who looks over, who sees what's going on and wants to encourage it and bless it and provide, takes responsibility for what's going on in the body as a whole. There's some very, very quality men here at Cole that we've talked to about eldership, that we've explored the possibility of them becoming elders, etc. And they really said, well, you know what, I, I, I love this area of ministry. I'm really committed to serve here, but, but I, I don't feel called to serve the whole body. So those men are probably not elders. We, when we look for elders, we look for a concern for everything that's going on, a willingness to care for what's going on in the library and among the coffee greeters and children's ministry and funeral meals and greeters, etc. In other words, they really want to see the entire body growing together. So that's an important qualification. So a willing heart, a concern for the whole body. And then Paul spends most of his time on the next qualification, which is a godly character. Godly character. Interesting, he doesn't focus primarily on ability, skills, how much you've led in business, how well you handle you know, uh, financial, whatever, that's not his point here. In fact, what he focuses on is character. That's the difference between a gospel-centered leadership versus leadership out in the world. It is different in the church. Leadership in the church is based on maturity, character, godly character. Now, this all applies to us because we all should be aspiring to grow in Christ-likeness, Right? So these qualifications mostly all apply to every one of us. And let me just say, why, why do you think Paul focuses on character instead of all those other things? Instead of your training, your experience, leadership, skills. He doesn't focus on any of that. He focuses on character. Why would he do that? Well, I think it's because it's those who are mature, who have walked with God for a long time, who have developed the ability and the maturity to hear from the Lord and let Him change them. And what's the main task of elders? To hear from the Lord, to seek the mind of Jesus so that He can run the church. That's the main task of elders. So maturity is really important. Walking closely with the Lord is evidenced by godly characters, the greatest qualification for a church leader. So in the church especially, I think it matters everywhere, but it's in the church especially, character matters in leaders. So what does he talk about specifically? Let me just run through this list of the qualifications he gives. He says, first of all, an overseer must be above reproach. I think this summarizes all the rest. Basically what that means is not that an elder is perfect. Again, no one is perfect. But it means that there's no glaring area in a man's life 
where you can look at it and say, well, you know, he may be pretty good in these areas, but this is a real problem area of immaturity in his life. No, being beyond reproach says that, no, he seems to be growing in all these areas and dealing with them well. There's some maturity developing in all these different areas. It doesn't mean he's together by any means, but maybe he's a little further along on the path. That's all. So then he goes on to give some specifics in this, and the first one he gives is the husband of one wife. What does this mean? <laughs> uh, does it mean he can't ever have been divorced and then remarried? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's getting at. Does it mean that he can't be single? He has to be married? Uh, we don't take it that way specifically. Um, does it mean that a man can't have more than one wife at one time? You know, we're pretty safe from that. As far as I know, none of you have two wives out there, which I think is a good thing. Um, probably that was part of what Paul was writing about, though. Because in the Roman Empire, it was very common for men maybe to only have one wife. The word here is really woman, to have only one woman. Um, it was common to have a wife, but also have a concubine someone who met your sexual needs. The wife was there for convenience or for some kind of social status, but then you had other women in your life for other needs. And Paul's saying, no, that's not okay. Now, the way we take it here is that we, we look for a man to, have, to be a one-woman kind of man. That's the way we talk about it. In other words, he's faithful to his wife if he's married. He's covenanted with her. He's not flirtatious. He's not involving himself into intimacy with other women, but he's committed to his wife. He's clearly a one-woman kind of man. Now, let me say from Paul's description here, it does assume that an elder is a man. And from this passage and from a number of others and from the general testimony of the New Testament, the primary leaders, the elders, were always men. And so we follow that pattern today. The next qualifications that I want to lump them together, temperate, prudent, and respectable, are the ones that are the way it's translated in my Bible. But essentially, all of these have this idea of being clear-headed, self-controlled, not given to emotions where you're just out of control. I've worked with elders before. I've been on four different elder boards at four different churches, and... I've worked with men before who, if they didn't get their way, they'd just blow up and get upset and you couldn't ever work anything through. That's, that's not okay. That's not what a man's to be. If he's going to be an elder, he needs to be clear-headed, self-controlled, controlled by the Word of God. He's able to see what the Word says and despite how he feels, follow it, commit to it, do what it says, follow through on it. So that's this idea of temperate, prudent, and respectable. The next two I want to lump together are hospitable, which comes next in the list, and then a few down, free from the love of money. I think these are similar. I want to put them together because I think maturity means, for all of us really, but certainly for an elder, maturity means that you see everything you have, your money, your house, your car, your everything you have, all your possessions, as ultimately the Lord's for His service. So that's what hospitality is. It's 
literally lovers of strangers. It's you use what you have, your money, your time, what you have to love others, to care for others, to bless others. And you're free from the love of money. You, you're not one who's just seeking to gain more all the time. I've, again, I've worked on one board with an elder who clearly was a lover of money. He was always getting the next fancy thing. He took me one time to this secret place. He showed me a storage unit where he had this fancy car, sports car. And I said, why do you, why do you keep it here? Well, you know, people in the congregation wouldn't really understand. Well, that was a man who was a lover of money and should not have been an elder. So we look for that in men. We look, you know, do they use what they have to serve others in hospitality? Are they free from trying to acquire more and more for themselves? The next quality we see in the list is, uh, must be, or that I want to highlight is he must not be addicted to wine. Not a drunkard was the translation we read in the ESV. In other words, we look for men that don't have any areas of addiction that control them. It might be alcohol or drugs or pornography or food addictions or simply just pleasure and comfort. They just have to be comfortable and and seek what's comfortable and easy and pleasurable for them. We don't want men like that. We want men who are willing to die to self to serve others and they've dealt with those areas of addiction in their lives to a great degree so they're free of those to put their energy into the body of Christ the next group I want to highlight several of these is one that says able to teach then not pugnacious or not violent not a bully but gentle and peaceable those four I think are similar as we think about how elders function now The word able to teach, uh, I don't have time to explain it all here, and, uh, and other scholars agree with me that probably a better translation would be teachable. It's a word that's only used twice in the New Testament. It's confusing about what it means, but I've studied it in depth, and I really think it means teachable, which fits better in the context here. That an elder needs to be, he, he does need to know the scriptures and be able to teach. We're told that about elders in Titus. So that is a qualification. I just don't think that's what he's describing here. I think there were problems in Ephesus. We saw back in chapter 2 where he said, hey, man, I want all men to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. In Ephesus, there were men that were fighting, that were arguing, that were kind of bullies. And he's saying, no, what an elder needs to be is somebody who's not a bully, but who's teachable, who's gentle, who's peaceable. Why is that? Because as men come together, as elders come together to seek the mind of the Lord, if somebody has this agenda that they feel like they need to push through, and I've been with elders like this, where they have an agenda and they feel like, hey, you know, this is what needs to happen and I'm going to push it and push it and push it and fight it through because I think this is what needs to happen. And if men are functioning that way, the elders will not function well and the mind of the Lord will not win out in the end. So men have to be willing to listen to one another. There's an incident in the book of Acts, chapter 15, where there was this uh, issue that was coming up and it was really stirring up the early church. It was the major issue in the early church and that was Gentiles are coming to the Lord 
What do we do with them? Do they have to keep some of the Jewish rules or not? And it really was creating a lot of turmoil in the early church and conflict. But in Acts 15, you see this wonderful story, I encourage you to go back and read it, where they come together and they begin to discuss it and they're discussing it as elders, as apostles, as the people, the congregation. And, and as they're wrestling it through, they're trying to figure out what's the best answer. And it's interesting how they describe when they finally conclude what to do and they write a letter to the Gentiles. The way they describe it is uh, in this letter. Let me read it to you. I can find it here. In verse 25, it says, It seemed good to us, having become of one mind. In other words, the whole group became of one mind. And then verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. They said, man, we've talked it through, but we all became of one mind, and that was the Holy Spirit guiding us. See, that's the way eldership is meant to work. We come together, we're teachable, we bring our ideas, and we always come with different ideas, but when we come together and you begin talking and praying it through and you let God teach you from the other people, eventually you come to a decision where you really believe that God has led you, the Holy Spirit has led you. That is how it's supposed to be. And I, I love our current board of elders because so often we come together and I may have a strong idea, or one of the elders does about what should happen, but I'm amazed how God shapes our hearts as we come to consensus, to unanimity, and we can have confidence that God has led us because of the situation and the diversity that's coming together. But it takes teachableness among the men. So that's an important quality. Men, I encourage you and women to develop that more and more, this peaceableness where you don't have to push your own agenda. So, good character, godly character is most important to Paul. And then he also gives a fourth qualification, which is a good track record. He talks about family, not being a new convert, and a good reputation outside the church. Let me read just that just to remind you, um, where he says in verse uh, 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? One of the things Paul is doing is equating the church with a family. He doesn't say, hey, he must know how to manage his business well. No, he says he must know how to manage his family because the church is like a family. We are the family of God. We're the body of Christ. And so what a man does in his home reflects how well he'll do as an elder. So that's one of the things we look for. If he leads his family well, his children are responsive to him and responsive to truth while they're in the home, then he may be a good elder. Now, I don't think it's a punishment if your children are struggling. It's just saying, essentially, wow, if your family's struggling, you need to be putting your energy there because eldering is hard. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of time to be a shepherd and care for and lead the body of Christ. And therefore, uh, if your family's not doing well, we've had a number of elders either resign 
or go on leave when their children were struggling so they could get their house in order. So one of the great indications of whether a man will be a good elder is how his home life is. Secondly, he says don't be, they shouldn't be a new convert. Verse 6, not a new convert, so he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. As I've said, I've eldered in four different churches. The first time I became an elder in a little church up in Moscow, I was 25 years old. I'd been a pastor, or excuse me, been a Christian for eight years, but I was still pretty new. And, you know, as I look back, I was probably too young (laughs) to be an elder and young in my faith. One of the dangers, he says here, is that there's too easy to fall into pride and arrogance if you're a new convert. You need the maturity of having walked with God for a long time, of having been broken of your own pride. Because otherwise, taking a position of leadership in a church can really feed that pride and you begin to think you're more important than other people. That somehow you have more authority than other people because of your position and you can take pride in that. And he says that is not good. So not a new convert. And then finally, a good reputation with unbelievers. Must be a person of integrity where... Their life at work, in their neighborhood, etc., really fits their character. They're not just kind of playing church, but they have this whole other life that's not godly and a person of character. They have to be a, have a good reputation with unbelievers as well, and that's a good thing to ask a person or ask the people around them, their neighbors, etc. I know of one pastor who was in a church friend of mine actually, but he came to a small town to, uh, to pastor and while he was there, he made a verbal agreement to buy a house. But then he saw a better deal and he backed out of it. And uh, I was talking to my dad who was a businessman, not a believer at the time in that area and he talked, he went and had coffee with the other businessmen in the morning and And he's the one who told me about this. And he said, you know what? I will never go to that man's church. He didn't have a good reputation among unbelievers in the society. shouldn't have been an elder. It's important we're people of integrity no matter where we are. Now let me just say a little history about Cole and our eldership here. It's changed over the years. Used to be we had a very large elder board, but it was more of a policy-making board. They would just kind of oversee, but they would delegate all the authority and the power ultimately to the senior pastor who really ran things, who did the hands-on shepherding. But if the elders had something they wanted to push through, they would kind of politic and work to get their agenda, to get their ideas pushed through. That's the way Cole used to function, and that's the way many boards function, both in and out of the church. But Around 10, 12 years ago, we developed much more into a shepherding board. We got rid of having the position of senior pastor so that the elders would really see themselves as overseers and of shepherds of the body, hands-on. And so the elders now shepherd the body through the pastors that have been hired on staff, working with them to shepherd the body here at Cole. And I, I love it. It's the best board I've ever been on. It's wonderful to see how we function and seek the mind of the Lord. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But I think it's the best way that I've seen to 
to really seek the Lord and and do our best to remain a gospel-centered church. Just so you know, I want to let you know, we have a description of our history and our leadership model on our website, and you can find it under Elders uh, on the website. I encourage you, if you want to read more about it, to to, uh, go there and read it. Or I've run some off descriptions of our history and how we function our leadership model, and they're on the back table. So if you want to take one, you can take one on your way out. Let me say this. We need more elders. So if you know of any men you think fit these qualities of maturity, of a good track record, of a willingness to serve and take on the responsibility for the whole body, then please give those names to me or one of the other elders. We would love to begin praying about that. We would love to begin considering uh, whether that person is being called to join us on the board because we would like to have more elders who are shepherding with us. So that's elders. Does the New Testament give any other examples of leadership, offices, positions? Well, of course there's apostles, but those all died out in the first generation, so we don't have apostles anymore. Um, there's elders, and then there's one more that's mentioned several times in the New Testament, and that's deacons, the whole position of deacon. What is a deacon? The word deacon means servant, and it's simply those who serve those with specific needs in the body. The first deacons were appointed in Acts chapter 7, where the widows were not being taken care of well, and so they appointed some godly men to oversee that ministry and take care of the widows that were being overlooked. So in verses 8 through 13, there's a description of elders and what their qualifications should be. Let me just say that they can be either men or women, deacons or what some call deaconesses, servants of the body of Christ. And the way I understand the breakdown of this passage is these next few verses, 8 through 10 are characteristics of deacons, whether they're men or women. Verse 11 describes some qualities of specifically of a woman deacon. And verse 12, a specific quality of men deacons. Let me just read this. And you'll notice that, again, it's all character traits. Wait a minute. These are people that are just setting up tables, leading ministries that are service ministries. But Paul says, no, character is still most important because you represent Christ even in the way you set up chairs, hand out food to the poor, etc. So let me read this passage. Deacons, likewise, must be people of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women and deaconesses, some of your translations say wives, but... I take it to be women deacons here, which many other scholars take it this way. Women deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And then men deacons must be husbands of only one wife, good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So it's all about godly character. In all our church, you may say, well, where are our deacons? Well, a few years ago, we wrestled with this, and we said, well, do we want to have an actual 
official designation of deacons. And we decided, no, the term's kind of confusing, but we understand that all of you who serve in our service ministry or who serve in any of our other ways of serving others in a ministry, helping hands, food cupboard, crisis meals, greeters, lights and sound, ushers, and I could go on and on, but any of you who serve in those kind of service ministries are deacons in our mind, and you're serving in that way. And so your character is important because you represent Christ in how you serve. I like the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 4, where he says this, Whoever speaks, talking about how we use our spiritual gifts, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, and it's the same word as deacon, whoever serves as a deacon is to do so by the, as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So serving in that way is very, very significant. Thank you for what you do. In conclusion, the church is not a business. Our leaders are not primarily businessmen or power brokers or charismatic leaders. They shouldn't be in the church. The church, if it's to be gospel-centered on Jesus and who he is and what he's done, then it's to be a place where Jesus is Lord And the gospel is lived out in everything we do. And how does that look in our leadership? Well, here at Cole, we seek to have leaders, elders, who are godly men, who are servant leaders, under shepherds of Jesus, whose primary task is to seek the mind of Jesus and carry it out. I want to conclude by reading a good summary by Ray Steadman, who said this, Elders as individuals have no special authority. No elder can be a boss in the church. Churches that allow pastors to become tyrants and dictators fail to fulfill the New Testament pattern. No pastor or elder is to be alone individually given any kind of authority. Elders are ordinary Christians, just like everyone else. They are brothers. They are not in command. But they corporately as a body of elders are to meet together to seek the mind of the Lord. They know they have succeeded when in the most remarkable way which only God could bring about they agree together about what the Lord wants done. So pray for us as elders. It's a big task. There's a lot of spiritual warfare and we cannot do it without the Lord and without your encouragement and prayers and support. And I do want to say, let us know of those among you, people you know, men you know, who you think might make good elders, and talk to us so we can begin praying about that possibility. God's plan for eldership, for church leadership, is that he would lead and that we seek his mind as we serve him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are head, that you are present, that we're not alone here. And Lord, help us do what you call us to as elders here. Protect us from the evil one, but may we most of all 
be men who seek your mind and your will so that you can be Lord of this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.